The Athletic. Totally Football Show, European edition today. Bundesliga title race, done for another season. Real Madrid come a cropper in Cadiz. More pitch invasions in France, short of sending Sam Kerr, what can be done. Drama in Italy as Jose beats Atalanta. And drama here on the pod with our secret Santa. It's all coming up in this Totally Football Show, European edition, in association with Paddy Power. Yes, listener, thank you very much for joining us. It's uh, Monday, 20th of December, as we record this with our friends Alvaro Romeo, Rafael Honigstein, James Horncastle, and sort of Jules. He's not actually physically present at this moment, but he will be along a little bit later. The ghost of Christmas Jules. Yeah, nice. He'll be making us think long and hard about our actions as, as usual. Plenty to discuss, happily. Been full fixture lists around the various continental leagues. Some midweek action on the way in one or two of them as well. Rafa, how are you? I'm fine, thank you, James. Excellent, that's good. Alvaro, recovered from your breezy trip to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? It was nice. It was uh, freezing because I spent the whole day out since 9am. But I feel fine now. I'm excellent. I'm feeling strong. I'm feeling good. Excellent. It's Christmas. And everybody loves a bit of that. Let's get some moments of the weekend with Paddy Power. Alvaro! James, yes, there is a moment of the week in La Liga. It's a person of the week, in my opinion. It's Jorge Molina, the player Ooh. from Granada, the striker from Granada. You should know that he got to the top flight when he was 29 years old. And you could have thought, yes, this guy is lucky because he's going to play a season or two in Primera. Well, he has played 10 already. And this big weekend, he became the... Oldest player to score a hat-trick in La Liga at the age of 39 years and 241 days. Sumale, sumale a Jorge Molina al tercero. Hat-trick, hat-trick. The second in the list was Joaquin. He did it against Athletic Club Bilbao a couple of years ago. I think that we reported on this. Well, Jorge Molina is officially the oldest ever scorer of hat-trick in uh, Spanish top-flight football. Old man Molina, lovely stuff. Rafa, what about you? Well, it's um, it's not a happy story, but it is nevertheless the story of the weekend, James. Uh, the first ever German uh, game was suspended because of racism in the third division. Uh, Aaron Opoku, a striker for Osnabrück, was racially abused in the game at uh, MSV Duisburg. And the referee sent everybody into the dressing room and now the police are investigating to find trying to find the person who racially abused him uh, and lots of uh, solidarity for for him and uh, I think it's a big moment because I think in the past German football has been a little bit too passive and too slow when mm. it comes to reacting to these situations. We've seen similar incidents of course of late in English football as well. Jules later on will be along to tell us about yet more problems with supporters in France as well. Lift our spirits then, James Horncastle, with your moment of the weekend. Well, this should be such a happy story, James, because remember, we've been telling you about Salernitana, Salernitana, who are owned uh, by the Lazio owner, uh, Claudio Lotito. Only you can't own two top flight clubs. So they were given until the middle of December uh, to to find a new owner. Uh, They were unable to. And uh, the league said, oh, well, we can't have you thrown out the league. Um, you know, we don't want to be playing the rest of the season with only 19 teams. So don't worry, you're safe. Um, and uh, before the Salernitana intergame, big banner from the uh, Salernitana fans saying, hey, no, keep your promise, Gravina, the Italian Football Federation president. Throw us out. We do not want to be taking the mick out of any more by this Claudio Latito guy. Stop, basta. Um, and they were then beaten 5 0 uh, by uh, mm. Inter, who look ever better under Simone Inzaghi. So, um, yeah, Salernitana, uh, yeah, I suppose not happy still um, to, to, to be in the top flight. Um, and to be honest, I think, you know, if you're a promoted side, it should be such a 
a great ride being uh, in Syria for the first time, what, since 1999. And instead, this whole thing has cast a shadow over the experience. It's made it very bitter for, for, for the fans. And yeah, so that drags on and on. Well, they may yet get their wish. There's a meeting, I think, on, on Tuesday of the Italian authorities, but it does look like they will stick with keeping 20 teams in the division and then bin them at the end of the campaign. All right, well, let's get on to what happened on the field then and beyond those stories over this weekend. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend, brought to you by Paddy Power. If one leg of your 4 plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg, online exclusive, no shop bets. T's and C's apply, 18 plus, be gambler aware.org. Intanto, contropiede della Roma, Ebram, il tiro di destra, il gol del 4-1. Ebram, che è riuscito in diagonale a superare il portiere avversario, gesto di stizza di Musso, ha chiuso male. Saturday afternoon in Serie A saw Atalanta on a six-game winning streak taking on Jose Mourinho's slumping Giallarossi, AS Roma. The result, James Horncastle, a resounding 4-1 victory for Mourinho. Have some of that, haters. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, yeah, Tammy Abraham saying after the game, um, yeah, people thought it was impossible for us to, to come here and win because Atlanta had won six in a row. Uh, they looked uh, It was their best start of the season ever. It looked like they were going to really contend for the title, uh, along with Inter. And Roma had not won against the top four side in uh, a long, long time. Uh, Justin Mourinho even went into specifics about it. Uh, sort of 19 months, 400 days, 300 hours, 30 minutes. And he said, look, no one can say that anymore about us. Or at least they'll have to say it's only been 22 minutes since we beat, beat a side in the top four. And it was a big win against an Atlanta side that had won the last six games uh, in the league. You know, a team that looked like it was going to contend for the title uh, with Inter as well. They may yet do. Um, so to go to Bergamo and, and, and beat uh, Atlanta was uh, probably the biggest result that Mourinho's had uh, so far that he's he's been... Uh, at Roma, um, the Gazetta on Sunday morning said uh, Bolitiki uh, as their headline, which is like, who's finished now, I suppose? Because mm. Allegri, who's also been under the, well, maybe not the same level of criticism as Mourinho, but you know, has been criticised. Um, people have been saying that, yeah, maybe he's not the same manager he was as well. And uh, yeah, in, in the performance itself from, from uh, Roma, some really encouraging signs. You know, Tammy Abraham's started to score on a regular basis now. Remember, sort of in October time, he was often hitting the woodwork or missing chances he should have scored. I think he's now got eight in his last nine games. He became the first Englishman to score a brace in, in, in Serie A since David Platt for Sampdoria in, in 1995. Uh, another Englishman was on the score sheet. That's never happened before in the history of Serie A for, for two Englishmen to score for the same team. Smaldini, Chris Smalling, he's been back in the side for the last five games. And mm. I think his experience has helped uh, Roma um, over, over, over that period. Uh, Nicolo Zaniolo scored his first goal in the league uh, this season. Um, yeah, this is something that... It's kind of been used against Mourinho to say that, yeah, unlike your predecessor, Paolo Fonseca, you've had Zaniolo free and available all season and he's not been as decisive, as effective as he was before. Obviously, he's had his injuries um, in, in that time frame too. But uh, yeah, I suppose Roma are on the rise. They've won six of their last eight games in all competitions. But this was the most important one because... The others were against the likes of Genoa, Venezia, Spezia, Zoya Luhansk, Seska Sofia, you know, games that um, a team coached by uh, a manager of Mourinho's um, curriculum, as they would say, uh, and also yeah, a, a team that has had this much investment should be winning. Um, I'm just curious to see whether they can back it up uh, in the new year when they have a very difficult start to 2022, um, where they'll be playing, um, I think, Juventus um, and Milan as well. So let's see if they can build on this win uh, in those games as well. Mm, they have Sampdoria coming up Tuesday night in a midweek round of fixtures in Syria. A lot of excitement about Mourinho's choice of uh, partners up front of Zaniolo and, and uh, Tammy Abraham, a kind of Tamiolo uh, duo, which uh, I, I hope we might see. <laughs> Sounds like a super Tuscan. 
It does, um, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, uh, but it was a very Mourinho per- performance, as you were mentioning. The most goals they've scored in a City A game uh, this season, but the fewest shots they've managed in a City A game uh, this season. Anyway, it leaves them level with Fiorentina and Juventus now in the group of teams right behind uh, the Champions League sides. Uh, but uh, there's a fair old gap still between those two groups. Six points, in fact. Well, Atalanta, meanwhile, James, I'm intrigued to see, have uh, responded to the defeat by hiring Lee Congerton from Leicester. Uh, they haven't hired him yet, uh, but this was uh, a story broken by uh, David Ornstein in The Athletic that uh, Lee Congerton's next destination is likely to be uh, Atalanta, um, perhaps as a, a general manager-style uh, figure. Quite a departure, um, interest- it is a departure because usually we've seen uh, foreign investor groups um, buying into the league uh, make uh, non-Italian appointments in in the recruitment department. Um, yeah, that's certainly been the case at um, more recently at Genoa, for example, Panama. So that is interesting. I, I'm curious to know what it, it means for Giovanni Sartori, who's kind of... Uh, the brains really behind this operation at Atalanta uh, was also the brains behind the kind of fairy tale at Kievo um, uh, a few years ago. And, uh, you know, whether this has anything to do with, you know, Gasp, the, the coach being a very demanding, very particular uh, kind of coach when it comes to the, the style of, of player that he wants. Mm. Um, certainly some of, the, of, of, of Atalanta's recent signings. Um, have maybe not uh, worked out. However, you look at the amount of money <laughs> Sartori has been able to bring in from player sales. It is just phenomenal. Um, you know, if, if if anything, Sartori should be the headline maker um, in terms of where, yeah, if if he were to leave and where he would go next, because maybe he should best. go to Leicester. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, all right, we'll, we'll talk more about City and what's going on a little bit further up the uh, standings later on. Next up, let's go La Liga. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. In Spain, Real Madrid's league cut to six points this weekend and Atletico knocked down to fifth place by Real's 0-0 in Cadiz and just up the road, Sevilla's victory over Atletico Madrid. How about Julian Lopetegui's Sevilla, Avro? Julian Lopetegui's Sevilla, if you take the whole calendar and you say how good they have been in the calendar year according to results, they've been really good. Then if you check it individually throughout the competitions, you cannot be so good with them or so benevolent with them because in the Cup or in the Champions League, uh, they haven't gone or they haven't yeah, uh, progressed very further. But the truth is that they are very consistent uh, in domestic in the domestic landscape. Uh, last season, uh, Sevilla managed to get to April with real options of winning La Liga title. And uh, this Sevilla, right now, is uh, up there with the best. I think that uh, the win against Atletico de Madrid uh, says a lot about... Uh, how much uh, they can compete uh, in this moment with the Spanish clubs. I mean, they were this close to drawing with Real Madrid at Bernabeu. They beat Atletico de Madrid this time. They are playing against Barcelona in midweek, and I believe that they are strong favorites against them. So, yeah, Sevilla is in a good moment, and uh, this Sevilla team in particular has... uh, a certain robustness that I don't see in the rest of the La Liga teams. They are not particularly quick. Uh, they suffer when the game becomes a box-to-box one, uh, when there are quick transitions. But then they've got really big players who can actually uh, offer you solid performances. And I think that it's no coincidence that uh, Simeone had the word uh, alto, tall, at the tip of his tongue uh, the other day when talking about the game against Sevilla because he referred about how tall Sevilla players are. In fact, one of the calls came after a corner kick. And I think that Simeone, in a way, 
that he may not understand very well. I think that he admires that from Sevilla. The fact that he, Sevilla have like very physical players actually who can inflict you pain uh, in corners, set pieces. And for me, it was no coincidence that Simeone revealed this after the game, that uh, he thought that Sevilla players were tall and uh, in a way that he admires this as well. I think that that tells you a little bit about Maybe Simeone is not the happiest man with the light squad that he's got now. Mm. This Atletico de Madrid has frailties. We have spoken about them before. And uh, yeah, it's a very meaningful scoreline. It's a meaningful, very meaningful result because Rayo Vallecano has surpassed Atletico de Madrid, has climbed over Atletico de Madrid on the table. And uh, we are talking about game week 17, game week 18. And uh, this has to be corrected very quickly. Simeone knows about that, but uh, he made an argument in his press conference as well at the end of the game that it was a little bit circular. He was saying, when I got Atletico de Madrid 10 years ago, they were in this position, they were out of the Champions League, now we are back here again. So there is an acknowledgement that the team hasn't regressed, but there is time to improve it. Okay. Well, yeah, they're currently lying fifth at the moment, having lost three games in a row in the league for the first time under Diego Simeone. Uh, Luis Suarez, who clearly not very tall, is on a seven-game streak without scoring in all competitions. Got very upset when he was uh, taken off uh, in the course of that game. And Sevilla close in, meanwhile, on Real Madrid, sort of. Six points now the gap after Real Madrid's goalless draw away in Cadiz. Uh, Ancelotti seeing his eight-game win streak come to an end here, but it was a severely weakened Real Madrid team. It was a weekend Real Madrid team. I think Luka Modric's absence was the biggest of all because this is a player that Real Madrid needs a lot right now. His performance against Atletico de Madrid nine days ago was phenomenal and I think Real Madrid missed the creativity of Luka Modric. I think that uh, this is the kind of game that resembles a little bit what happened against Sheriff Tiraspol back uh, in the Champions League game day two or three when Sheriff snatched a victory from Santiago Bernabeu, even though Real Madrid did everything to win that game, but that didn't happen because Real Madrid was not clinical enough. In that time, uh, Sheriff goalkeeper was uh, heroic. This time, Real Madrid approached Ledesma, Ledesma's box a lot, but then they didn't have like really clear chances. I think that there was no a heroic performance from Ledesma, a Cadiz goalkeeper. I think that the defense of Cadiz uh, just uh, helped each other very well. They stayed uh, together. There were many blocks in the edge of the box by Cadiz uh, players as well. So it was a very good defensive performance by them. I think Real Madrid shot a lot, Real Madrid dominated a lot, but strangely they didn't create a lot of big chances. Is this one of these games? It was going to happen at some point, but I personally didn't think that Real Madrid was going to drop points against Cadiz this weekend. I thought that it was more likely that they would drop them against Athletic Club Bilbao at San Mamés in the midweek. But yes, it happened. And uh, there are a couple of good things for Real Madrid, of course, like Eden Hazard. He looked busy to me, at least in the second half. Not impressive, not brilliant, but at least he looked committed and he did a, a couple of very good link-up games with uh, Vinicius and Benzema. And then I... I think that Luka Jovic he is also back on track and he has become one of these uh, number 12 Real Madrid players, as we say in Spanish, uh, this player that can come out from the bench and offer something different. So yes, it was a draw. I think that this is a draw that, can, that Real Madrid can afford at the minute. But of course, I think that Real Madrid's uh, season is also rated in relation to how their opponents are doing. Uh, Barcelona is not doing well, Atletico de Madrid either, so that uh, enhances what Real Madrid has been done this year, if that makes sense. Also, they have qualified in the Champions League for the, for the next uh, group stage, uh, sorry, for the next knockout stage. So, all things considered, I think that Real Madrid should have won it. They didn't win it, but they are still in a very comfortable position. Mm. 36 shots and 82% possession. By the way, that's the highest tally of any team in terms of shots in a La Liga match without scoring since Opta began their records in 2003. Well, attention now turns to whether Sevilla can keep the pressure up with their game in hand, which they'll be playing on Tuesday night against Barcelona. We'll get your thoughts on that a little bit later on what Barcelona did this weekend against Elche. But next up, far up the Rafael Honigstein, we're heading for the Bundesliga. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Woohoo! Yeah, super. Indeed. All done for the year, Rafa. All wrapped up for the season, in fact. Bayern, <laughs> yeah. nine points clear now. Yeah. It's all over, James. Was it ever on, I wonder? 
Uh, I know Julian Nagelsmann, Bayern have been playing some really good stuff. And Dortmund, the same inconsistency that we've seen before. Just a different flavour. So specifically this weekend, Bayern with a 4-0 win over Wolfsburg, featuring another record from Bob Lewandowski. Lewandowski! Der 43. Treffer von Robert Lewandowski, Recordman in diesem Kalenderjahr. Wow, Recordman in diesem Kalenderjahr, whatever that means. What, what did he do this time? <laughs> Most goals in a calendar year, although I sort of refuse to take these made-up statistics very seriously. Well, they've run out of real Calendar ones year, I mean, come on. Yeah, but not, not if they are, they, <laughs> they go up to 91. Like Lionel Messi did in 2012. Yeah, yeah. That, that yeah. was then, insane. It's different. Yeah. Well, he's he's only on 43 for 2021, Robert Lewandowski. And certainly is striker of the year. Well done, a UEFA for that. And as you say, Bayern are absolutely flying along. Do you accept stats about goals for first half of the season? 56 for them, given that the best ever is from 1971-72, and that was 101 for the whole season. They're well on course to absolutely smash that. Yeah, it's incredible. And unfortunately, it's it's a classic case of the law of diminishing returns because the better Bayern play, the less respect they'll, they'll get for it. Um, and I think it's worth reiterating that Nagelsmann has done a particularly good job of, of coaching this team and making them play better than last season under Hansi Flick. Maybe they're at the same level that they were under Pep Guardiola now, certainly statistically. Uh, if you look at the underlying numbers, they are completely in a, in, a, in a league of their own. And this is with lots of issues this year, you know, Joshua Kimmich not being there for two months, um, a few injury problems. As a club, there was a lot of disquiet behind the scenes because the Qatar controversy and the club members um, staging a sort of re- revolt against it. Um, but as a team, they're just, they're just unstoppable at the moment. Mm. Certainly too much for Wolfsburg, who notched up their seventh straight defeat uh, already, of course, on their second manager of the season. Anyway, nine points clear now, Bayern, of the second place side in the Bundesliga because they, Dortmund, did a Dortmund, uh, losing 3 2 to Hertha. They were leading at half time as well, Rafa. Yeah, how they, how they lost control of that game, I don't know. Well, I do know actually because they just made silly mistakes. Julian Brandt, who played so well, made a horrific mistake for the third goal and Dortmund just looked so slow. Witzel again showing that I think physically unfortunately he's a little bit over the hill which explains why Dortmund are quite keen to to let him go if a suitable offer comes in they're hoping that Juventus will want another 30 plus midfielder because <laughs> uh, they don't have enough of them. Um, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. Swap, swap with Aaron Ramsey? Or with Erling Haaland coming in as a make as a make weight. Yeah. Um, Pjanic is over there as well. Yeah, Pjanic. Yeah, it's got to be Pjanic. Um, Enough, come on. Have some respect. <laughs> it's frustrating, really frustrating. Um, and it was interesting to see Marco Rosa then having a go at Didi Harman, the Sky pundit, for, for being biased effectively against Dortmund, which shows you, I think, how sensitive they've become to that criticism which I think is wholly warranted and also he was trying to understand why the Stolman teams sometimes just don't show up even in the same game you have one half where they're quite good in the second half they they lack all the basics and try to rely on the football but their football is is good it's better than anyone else's below Bayern I think but they they have a sense of yeah, kind of a weightlessness to their game. This kind of lack of gravitas, lack of seriousness. And it's just, it's annoying because this year you can make the excuse, I think, for them that Bayern are too strong and I think it's going to be really hard even for a well-performing Dortmund team to keep up with them. But when Bayern were weak in the Kovac years, there was a real chance for Dortmund and Dortmund missed it. And if they, I think Dortmund should have won at least one championship in those years in uh, 1819 or 1920. The fact that they didn't then makes this Bayern run as if it was sort of never in doubt that they would win nine in a row and it would be ten. But actually, there was a chance. Unfortunately, they've, they've blown it. Mm. Good result for Hertha, though, who move uh, away now from the uh, 
relegation positions. They're up to 11th place. They're only just behind RB Leipzig, who've fallen all the way down to 10th. They had a pretty disastrous weekend as well, losing a 2-0 at home to Armenia Bielefeld, Rafa. Yeah, I mean, losing at home to Bielefeld is is always a pretty bad thing to do. Uh, Bielefeld, the second worst team in the league, and Leipzig had a bit of positive momentum, or so we thought, under their new coach, Domenico, Domenico Tedesco, but... Um, it's already stalled that uh, positive momentum after a couple of indifferent results or, or disastrous results, as far as the Bielefeld game was concerned. And I think there will be there will be much improved in the second half. I wouldn't necessarily think of them as a club in crisis, but it's not just them, James. I mean, they have twenty two points. Uh, they were the second best team in in the Bundesliga last year. Uh, Gladbach are in fourteenth. Wolfsburg, the fourth best team last year, and thirteenth. There's a whole upside down sort of situation for these for these sides. And once again, the Bundesliga below Bayern and Dortmund, wholly unpredictable. It's just something that I think doesn't seem to resonate a lot with, with people outside Germany. Right now, Freiburg are third, Leverkusen are fourth, and Hoffenheim are fifth. I mean, that is just really incredible stuff. But Why, um, why do you think, uh, Rafa, be behind Bayern that so many of the big clubs are have lost their way? Well, I think the managerial changes explain a lot. I but mean, none of these teams... But an effect rather than a cause? No, because they already changed in the summer before the season. Oh, right, OK. Yeah. And part of that uh, was Bayern. Part of that was the knock-on effect from Bayern, the Bayern domino. But Dortmund, I mean, Dortmund started it with Marco Rose mm. and that then needed a new coach for Gladbach and then that needed a new coach for Frankfurt and that then needed a new coach for Wolfsburg. <laughs> So there was this massive domino effect and the only side that's really been okay, if you want, is, is of course Bayern with Nagelsmann. Rosa to an extent, because it hasn't been a disaster, they're still in a decent position in second. Mm. And, uh, and Frankfurt, but Frankfurt have only recently, I think, started making some headway under, under Oliver Glasner. So it's a lack of continuity, I think it's, it's fair to say. But of course, there's also a lack of financial firepower, which means that if you get things a little bit wrong there isn't that much to fall back upon in terms of individual quality. Teams tend to function as collectives. And when a collective is a little bit off, then you see quite drastic changes in in performance levels. I think and there's that's no the, superstars the, to rescue the... the yeah, well, that's the, probably well, the best explanation I can find. All that said, Rafa, uh, when I watched Leverkusen uh, against Betis, uh, they look far better than them. I mean, they were very impressive in the Europa League, I have to say. Very quick, very creative I would say playing a very positive football as well yeah no they're really they're a decent side and they're having a good good season but they're 15 points behind Bayern so it's it's not enough um, unfortunately to to have a proper title race the other problem this is something we also talked about is the lack of sort of brand names in the Bundesliga um, it's f- nice that Freiburg Julian and Hoffenheim names or, or yeah, the other kind? it's nice that Hoffenheim and Freiburg are doing well and maybe right. one of them will qualify for the Champions League and it's going to be pretty exciting. But not many people in, in Germany will really care because these are small clubs. Whereas Hamburg and Bremen and Schalke, they're all still in the second division. And, you know, proper big clubs like Stuttgart are struggling this year, Gladbach are struggling. So it is a weird sort of imbalance between what the league could and should be and the reality of it. Mm. All right. was one very good team in it. Uh, But anyway, there you go. Running away with it at the halfway point. Next up on the Totally Football Show European Edition, we hear from Jules. Hey, why is it called Boxing Day? Nine Premier League games on. It should be called Football Day. Yeah, that old leftover turkey sandwich day. What? You definitely ate more than nine of them last year. (laughs) It's a feast for football fans on December the 26th. And Paddy Power's got a knockout offer just for Boxing Day. It's a completely free £5 bet builder to use on any of the nine Premier League matches on Boxing Day. Paddy Power! Pre-match online bet for the bets only. Min 2 plus tags. Max 1 free £5 bet per customer. Must have previously deposited to avail. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Become on the way. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. All right, time now to hear from Julian Laurence. Jules. Hi, James. Yeah, how, how are you doing? Very good, thank you. Excellent. Uh, now, no French league action this weekend because it was the cup 
And once again, more fan trouble. Jules, what, what are they doing in France? Because it doesn't appear to be working. No. And again, it's not a surprise. I told you and I told the listeners and the boys that when you're too soft, it happens again. And it will, it will happen again. This time it was the Paris FC, so the other Paris team hosting Lyon in the, the French Cup. Uh, at the Stade Charlety, which is in central Paris, which should have been a great occasion because Paris FC are doing well in the second division. I think they've got decent hopes of going up and, and being promoted to, to Ligue 1. Uh, and this was a good game for them to, to test themselves against a good, a good Ligue 1 team. Uh, Lyon, as we know with Peter Bosch, had been really up and down and I think they could do with a good performance as well. So you could expect a really nice game. It's 1-1 at half-time and then at half-time it all kicks off in the stands. Um, it seems like uh, some PSG ultras got into the stadium and Charlotte is a, is a lovely stadium where you can, unless there's big security, but you can walk all around basically. It's not divided into sections if you want. The only section that was properly um, structured if you want was the West End for the, for the Lyon fans. But the thing is some of the PSG ultras who, who got, got into, bought their tickets very normally to get into the game, then went across to the away, the away end, basically, and starting provoking the Lyon fans, uh, who then, obviously, there was very little security, so they easily sort of breached their away end to, to join the PSG fans, starting fighting with each other. Okay, that's one thing. If you want hooligans fighting each other, they do what they want. Okay. The problem is, is that once the sort of PSG ultras sort of like left, if you want, or retracted, whatever the words, then the Lyon fans, the Lyon ultras and hooligans starting hitting and punching pretty much everybody that was in the high sight, including women, families, children, small children, with belts, with um, big sticks, with everything they could find. You know those things that you put on your knuckles? Brass knuckles. Yeah. Yeah. With that, I mean, imagine, imagine a Lyon grown man, ultras, hooligan, hitting a 10-year-old or 12-year-old. They were hitting kids, George. Yeah. And I just think like, okay, they were, I think they were provoked at the beginning. It's true by some PhD ultras who came in. P Paris FC said they were, they were not aware of PhD fans coming in, that the police and the security never told them to get heavier on security to prevent uh, crowd trouble because PhD fans and Lyon fans would be there to fight. But it's still not good enough from, from a Lyon point of view, the way they didn't control their, their fans. They knew that they had high-risk fans traveling from Lyon to Paris for the game. They've got very strange relationship with their ultras and especially the, the fascist side of the, their hooligans, right. uh, which, which have created problems everywhere. Remember at the City game, one of them doing the, the Nazi salute. They've had banners with Nazi signs on them, like, you know, crazy things before that they never really uh, eradicate. And, and now it's, it's coming back again. And it's not the first time that it's Lyon. It's Lyon again. I think this time they, they will hit very, very hard. But it's such a bad look once again for French football. Yeah, not least, as you say, because it's not just a question of fans attacking other fans, but or at least ultras attacking other ultras. But uh, but innocent bystanders caught in the middle. Really shocking uh, tales there. Well, as you say, hopefully this time the reaction will be a bit more effective. It's Paris FC then, they're ripe for promotion. We could be seeing a Parisian derby in yeah, Ligue 1. Yeah, we could. We could. There's a big friendship between the two. I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, children who go from... So Paris FC is an amazing grassroots team, grassroots mm. club at the beginning. I've, I've played numerous times against them and, and they, they always had... They had some of the top teams in the country for under 13, under 15, under 17, playing in the top league. And then often those kids go to academies all around the country, the PSG one, there's, there's been a few, but also... Mont, not Monaco, wherever you, you know, wherever you want. There's, there's a lot of them, like Mamadou Sako, for example, who started at PFC and then uh, went to PSG, and but, but many others like that. Uh, and they'd never really made, they'd never made it to the top flight. This would be the first time. So they've, they've been building a, a project with uh, Pierre Ferracci, who is the, um, who is the, the owner, the chairman, who is very close to. Emmanuel Macron, the president, you know that helps, I think, for a lot of things. Uh, and and yeah, it would be it would be great to see them to see them there for sure. Okay, what's going to happen with this game with Lyon? Will it be replayed or, or awarded to them or what? Uh, yeah, it's a bit tricky, and and this time it's not the same discipline committee than the, the issues that we've had in Ligue 1 because obviously mm. this is 
competition for the French Federation. So it'd be very interesting if maybe they, they decide to take a much tougher stance than what the league have done. Um, it looks like the game could be not replayed and that Lyon could lose, could lose the game because of the crowd trouble, even if the fans were provoked. That's why they're trying to, to put forward. I mean, we had another, another amazing Jean-Michel Olas cameo where he said, well, you know, you can't just blame the Lyon fans. Well, not, but, you know, there was a lot to do. It's the Lyon fans who attacked women and children and families who had nothing to do with... With the with the fight between PSG Ultras and Lyon Ultras, so mm. it was it was quite crazy. So I, it looks like it could be really really tough for Lyon, and that that game could be won for Paris FC even without playing the second half. Crikey! All right. Meantime, loads of top flight sides were knocked out uh, this weekend in the Coupe de France uh, by lower league or even amateur opposition. Mm. This does happen every season, though. Are they all just pulling a Spurs? You know? No, no, it's not that. I mean. You never really know how much the, the top so, two clubs. Trois got knocked out by League Two strugglers Nancy, despite the fact that Nancy finished the game with eight players. Yeah. Mets were put out by fourth tier side Bergerac Perigord, also yeah. on penalties. And yeah. then Angers, also from Ligue 1, were put out by a fifth tier side, Linus Mollery. Yeah. Right. They're from the suburbs of Paris, you know. Yeah, they are. They are. Yeah, I know them really well. I played in that ground a lot. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And. The, the two coaches, they've got um, sort of double act as coaches, have great history. They used to coach Croix uh, in Savoie and they, they had amazing success since I think 07 was the first time that Croix went really found in the, in the Coupe de France, although they were fourth division team at the time or fifth mm. division team even. And they even, I think, reached the, the quarterfinals of the last 16. So those two coaches have, have history with the, with the Coupe de France and, and really good ones as well. And it was such a, a professional performance from, from Linas Moleri. They were really good, well-organized, played really good football. The guy who scored the two goals, uh, Pascalino, who's, who's from, from Guinea, uh, who's called the, uh, the Guinean Griezmann, doesn't look like Griezmann at all the way he plays, but, but that's, that's how they, they nicknamed him. Uh, I know James Roncastle loves the nickname. But yeah, they were really good. And it's funny because uh, they, they play... Amiens in, this, in the next round now with the oh, yeah. second division team and they were all gutted the draw was made and <laughs> they were gutted because they wanted a PhD or Marseille for someone from French Polynesia probably no? or Monaco or, yeah or even yeah. Yeah, someone a bit more exotic but it's, it's, it's another League 2 team they beat Damn. Dunkerque before beating Angers so they've done League 2 Ligue 1 and they play another League 2 at the start of Jan and I would not rule them out at all I think they can easily beat it they, they look really good they've got this is the strength every time we say James but a lot of those teams in the mm. third, fourth, fifth division have rejects players from academies. And French academies are, are really, really good. So when you don't make it for Montpellier, PSG, Monaco, Lyon, whoever you are, right. then you're still playing, but you play down a, a league or two. And then you end up being a really good player in a good fourth division team, which means that when you play the Coupe de France against against the Ligue 1 or Ligue 2 team once you want to prove something but also you're, you're very good in a team that has a lot of rejects like you from academies that makes that team really good that's why the gap between the top two leagues and the rest is, is actually quite close Le vrai magique de la coupe La vraie magie de la coupe yes oui. Okay oh, PSG made it through though so the triple is still on uh, they got past ooh fifth tier side Anton Feigny Ulnois beaten 3-0 they put Kylian Mbappé up against them and he scored a brace. It's his birthday um, today, James. We record this on Monday. Happy birthday, Kylian. I know you're listening. Ah, we love you voila. loads. Mm. 23 today. 23. Remarkable. Yeah. They also handed his debut to El Shaddai Bichiabu, who became the, the youngest ever PSG player at 16 and 7 months, beating the, the former record um, held by Kingsley Coman, who was 16 and 8 months, so just a month younger for El Shaddai, who is this centre-back, who is right. like 7 foot, left-footed, really talented on the ball, but like physically a monster. And they've got high hopes, really high hopes for him. He's amazing. And, and I'm not sure what you were doing at 16 and 7 months. I can't <laughs> remember what I was doing, but certainly not playing for PhD, and unfortunately... Um, so, so well done. We saw a lot of youngsters. Chavi Simon started and, and was really good. I hope they can keep him. Um, but, but you're right. It was Kylian's show again, two goals, 42nd and 43rd of the calendar year. Incredible. 
And also another great story, James, on the, the French Cup. It's, uh, we had a team from Mayotte, you know, the small island near Madagascar. Oh. Um, yeah, they call the Jumeau de Emzoisia. And they play in the I'm French sorry, 6th what? Division. They what are they called? The, the Jumeau de Emzoisia. What does that mean? I'm not sure. So Jumeau is twins. Okay. And Emzoisia, I think, is uh, the name of the, the neighborhood where right. they play in, in Mayotte. Right. So 6th Division is great already that they, they reached that. That, that, that stage and they played against Bordeaux in, in Bordeaux as well so they travelled all the way and they were great and they, they had been really good coming into this, this uh, latest round and they had loads of articles in all the newspapers and all the TV and radio and everything you can imagine and in L'Equipe um, one of the, the midfielders said um, that his mates uh, they really believed they could beat Bordeaux as well Bordeaux who haven't been playing well at all in the game so uh, he says, yeah, yeah, my friend asked me how we were feeling. So I said, we're feeling great. So he put a bet, 2,000 euros on Les Jumeaux to win. Yeah, they lost 10-0. No. Which I think, I think either choose your friend carefully and wisely, or maybe yes. don't, you know, don't answer when they ask you how you're feeling. Uh, that's, a he- that's a heavy loss, 2K. They lost 10-0, they were 3-0 down at halftime. It was great to see them there, but I feel a bit for the friend. To be fair. Well, indeed. Jules, that was fabulous and uh, a nice way to lift our spirits a bit after that very uh, depressing hint news about the uh, latest trouble with with supporters. Uh, we'll be hearing from you later on, though, when we unwrap our secret Santa gifts. Yes. Are you excited? Yeah, me too. Me too. All right. Next up, though, back to Italy. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which will come in handy when Mikel Arteta finally bends the process altogether. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Other T's and C's apply and please gamble responsibly. Back in Italy now with James Horncastle and a word on the City Out title race which saw Friday night Inter throw down a bit of a marker with a 5-0 victory away at Salernitana. Now, James, you mentioned Salerno. Football in Salerno, not the happiest place right now, but Inter on this phenomenal run of form. That's six straight victories. The last three of them have been 3-0, 4-0, and now 5-0. So you kind of worry for their next opponents, Torino, who, who they'll be facing on, on Wednesday. But here they looked absolutely magnificent. They really did. Um, they're playing some sublime football. Um, you know, there's a lot of... Pundits, um, columnists at the moment are pining in Italy that, uh, yeah, this is the best football Inter have played in decades. Um, so uh, I suppose it's it's still surprising um, given that Conte walked out. They sold Lukaku, Hakimi, and obviously Ericsson uh, this week rescinded his contract um, because he's unable to play in Italy with a uh, implanted defibrillator. Um, and I suppose when you take three players out of the team and you replace them um, with three guys who are essentially going to be starting for you most of the time, um, it does have quite a big impact on how you can affect the, a change of style on the team. Yeah, it's, it's a team that plays the same system, 3-5-2, but uh, there's more freedom of expression. Um, there, there are more rotations, by which I mean in terms of uh, positional play. Um, and you know we're seeing these flowing team moves um, with uh, you know players popping up in in spaces and, and roles that you you wouldn't expect. And I, I think um, yeah, Simone Inzaghi is really built on on the hard work that Antonio Conte did uh, over the last two years, um, which was you know, turning a a team of chumps into champions. Um, and, you know, I, I, that's, a, that's a bit of a provocation, I'm giving the talent that Inter had, but certainly they had a complex for many years, um, I, I think, at Inter, which they weren't able to get over. And he, he got them over that. Uh, I found it quite interesting listening to one of the players, Alessandro Bastoni, was saying 
uh, just having the Scudetto on their shirts for the, for, yeah, I mean, for him, it's new because he's a young player, but certainly for all these interplays, even the more experienced ones, it's new and it's a, it's a source of pride. It's, it's helping them kind of play with the swagger, you know, because they've, they've done it. They've won the league title for the first, first time in 10 or 11 years. And, you know, as I mentioned, you know, there's their, their sporting director, Pierre Arcelia, had this line last week, which was, you know, Conte built this incredible skyscraper, which, you know, is, is yeah, kind of the, the pride of, uh, of the city, uh, at least if you're on the blue and black side of it. But uh, Inzaghi is this sort of, uh, you know, wonderful kind of interior designer who's coming right. in and just sort of making everything look very nice um, and, uh, and certainly attracting more people to it, I suppose. <laughs> He's, he's certainly doing well with these fixtures, if you know. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, so that's the look... thing, James. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, they have been running up the score recently, and, and 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 yeah, they have been rightfully praised for the star with which they've they've played. But you know, I mean, smashing Salonita on the bottom of the table, Calorie before that, uh, second bottom of the table, um, beating Venezia and Spezia as well. You know, I mean, you would expect Inter to win. They would have won mm. those games, I think, under under Conte. But it, 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 it's still, nevertheless, exciting to see a team um, make these games look so easy. Right. And then we'll see in January when they've got a series of really big fixtures. Eight, eight games in 40 days, a real tour de force against all the top sides. Champions League obviously resumes in February. And I, th- I think that'll be another stress test, if you like, of, of this, uh, this Inzaghi's Inter. Mm. Although I don't think they'll find it easy on Wednesday against Ivan Juric's uh, Torino. We, we shall see. Uh, meantime, it has been an incredible run for them from the derby onwards, recovering from seven points back from Milan and now four points clear. It's now Napoli who come back to second in City after Sunday night's 1-0 victory for them away at Milan. A hugely forgettable game, uh, that is apart from the massive controversy at the end when Milan thought they'd had a late equaliser through Frank Kessier, only to have the goal disallowed because Olivier Giroud, who'd been fouled and then was lying prone on the ground with a defender on top of him, was called as offside. Um, yeah, have they? We've seen previous such aberrations apologised for by the VAR officials. Has there been any word about this? Well, naturally, I mean, there's been a lot of reaction in the in the papers, but the the referees' association uh, has come out this morning standing by. Uh, the decision and have explained it and say, look, it's it was absolutely correct um, uh, to do it by by the letter of the law. It, it did feel strange because it, you know, ultimately, yeah, Olivier Giroud was like a mattress for uh, for Tranches, who's there's not really much he can do. Um, but uh, I mean, that, this has been one of the kind of controversies of the weekend: what is active and what is inactive offside? Uh, when is a player interfering? When is a player not interfering? Because it also, uh, yeah, the circumstances were different in the Roma game, but Atlanta were very aggrieved because they felt that they'd um, scored an equaliser with half an hour to go, and uh, they're playing at home. Yeah, their tails were going to be up. Uh, would the would the outcome of the game have been different? Shoulda, woulda, coulda, uh, and you know it repeated itself on Sunday in this mm. game, which you know could could be massive, uh, a, a massive decision. A decision, as I say, that the 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 referee association believes was the correct one, but you know given how tight it is between third and fourth, and then the form that the likes of Roma, Juventus, and Fiorentina are picking up, yeah, dropping two points uh, well drop, losing all the points in, in, in this sense uh, could be very costly for Milan in the long run Absolutely uh, and, and of that with that gap six points between Atalanta the team in fourth and Roma, Juve and Fiorentina do you see one of those sides do you think it's a realistic prospect that someone else is going to break into the top four conversation and if so who? Well, Fiorentina have got. Uh, I know Rafi loves his uh, calendar of the year statistics, but uh, th- th- so so yeah. This weekend, Dusan Vlajevic matched the Serie A record, which is held by Cristiano Ronaldo for scoring uh, what, more than thirty-three goals in 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 in, in the calendar year. Um, he's a superstar. You know, he doesn't want to leave in January. I think you know there will be an auction for him uh, in the summer. They're a really well coached team. They're not in Europe. Um, you know, unlike Juventus will be in the Champions League, um, you know, Roma is still in the Conference League. Um, so, you know, they're going to add Jonathan Icone by the looks of it in, in January. Uh, yeah, maybe it's, it's, it's too much 
to say that they can break into the top four because I, I really think the top four is quite consolidated. Mm. Um, but uh, they are the most improved team this year uh, along with uh, Torino. And when you've got a player who is, for his age, you know, only Haaland is putting up better numbers, you know, it, it, you can dare to dream. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Well, uh, we've still got our secret Santa to come, of course. But next up, it's a little bit more of La Liga. We're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. All right then, Alvaro. Barcelona facing Sevilla on Tuesday. They ended a winless run of three matches, the Catalans, uh, on the weekend with a 3-2 victory over Elche, who are just outside the relegation zone. Uh, wh- what did you make of their performance? What did you make as well of Xavi's comments, I think, before the game, saying about, I've not been here for six years and my word, some <laughs> stuff has changed at Barcelona since I left. And yeah. wh- what are their prospects against Sevilla? Well, starting by the first question, I think that uh, Xavi was baffled and uh, probably he's finding some things at Barcelona that he never thought that he's go- he was going to find. Because probably if there is any orthodox man at Barcelona to the point of being too dogmatic, it's Xavi. And uh, he likes positional game and he likes to take his opinions sometimes to the extreme, uh, to the point that sometimes in the past he has not rated uh, some other clubs that have beaten Barcelona playing in a certain way. But yes, Xavi said this after the game, uh, when Barcelona beat Elche 3-2. He was not happy with a few things uh, during the game. He again praised the youngsters. Uh, He even hinted that this generation could be better than the previous one of Busquets and Pedro and Fabregas. I don't know if he went too far with that. But the truth is that for Barcelona it's been a blessing to find the just in, in a matter of three or four months, um, Nico, Gabi, then um, Abde, who seems to be a very good uh, winger, Jutla, the guy who scored the goal the other day, the opener against Espanyol, he seems to be a good player, uh, the opener against Elche, uh, seems to be a good player, former Espanyol Academy player, Jutla, and uh, yeah, Xavi was very happy with that, but uh, he, he pointed that the lack of uh, knowledge of some of his players, I don't know, how far back we can take this critic because uh, when Luis Enrique was there, Barcelona was playing well. The only problem was that, uh, as with PSG, uh, there were three players who, di- who didn't defend and that cost the team a lot, but Barcelona positionally was playing very well. But then with Valverde, you could see a little bit the decadence. Lionel Messi was becoming more and more important to cover many problems that the team had on the pitch. Same thing with Setien, and it all got exacerbated with Ronald Koeman. So yes, there has been a problem in there, but at the same time, having these youngsters is a blessing. The only problem here is that you wonder how much can you demand to these uh, guys who are not even 20 years old, uh, because you may burn them out in the same way that you have done with Pedri last season. Mm. He played 70 games and now uh, we still don't know uh, when he's going to return, that it's very likely that uh, he won't play in a football game until 2022, meaning that he has been out for more than two and a half months. There are managers who rate Barcelona, this Barcelona, and personally I rate them, but I think that they don't know how to how to keep the the possession or how to keep the scoreline when they get the first goal. I still remember, uh, probably you don't because uh, this is a very small detail, but when PSG went to Barcelona back in February and they beat them for one, I remember that Gerard Piquet was vociferating to the players, please keep a long possession. That sounded like, yes, just a 
a demand from one of the main Barcelona players, but it sounded so basic because Barcelona normally knows how to do these things. So mm. I think that that message of Piquet in February uh, has like a continuity with this thing that Xavi said after the game against Delche, that some basics have gone missing at Barcelona. But then some managers, like for example Julian Lopetegui, um, who will play against Barcelona in midweek, said that this is the best Barcelona he has seen in a while because Lopetegui understands football in the same way as Xavi probably. But yeah, maybe he went a little bit too far uh, with his... Uh, with his opinion, and of course there is a discrepancy between Julian Lopetegui and what Thomas Muller said two weeks ago when he said that this Barcelona couldn't compete in Europe, right? So, yeah, there must be uh, a middle point between all that, but it's true that Barcelona, uh, right now, they've got a hell of a problem ahead of them, 1.3 billion debt, uh, but then they've got these youngsters that I can guarantee you that in five or six years, these guys, all of them, are going to be playing for the Spanish national team unless someone very good uh, comes mm. up and takes their place. But Nico Gabi, who scored a beautiful goal, uh, as beautiful as the one from Rakitic on Saturday, I don't know which one is better, totally different. Gabi scored a solo goal, Rakitic a thunderbolt. Gabi, Nico, and all the players that I mentioned before, all together with Fati, uh, they are uh, top quality material. They're a bit like Schrodinger's Catalans, if you if you like. We don't know if they're really going to be really good or or, or really bad. But uh, Tuesday night's game against Sevilla will be an interesting test of that and a key match in a couple of key battles at the at the top end of the table. Barcelona with a win here will be right on the fringes of the Champions League places again. Sevilla equally with a victory will cut Real Madrid's lead down to just three points. Ooh, yeah, it's going to be very entertaining. I don't know how many players will Sevilla be able to recover ahead of the game because uh, the two um, fullbacks uh, pick an injury, um, Montiel and Acuña. Lucas Ocampos left the pitch on a stretcher, but uh, he, had, he didn't have any big injury. It was a concussion and uh, just for precaution he had to leave like this. Uh, Ocampos scored the winning goal against Atletico de Madrid. I think that Sevilla, just for the seniority of uh, their players, just because they've got... Um, a really robust team, they should come as favorites against Barcelona, because this Barcelona team is obviously not perfect. I mean, they've got many flows, they've got many youngsters who have had uh, maybe six or seven games in the top flight only, so these players are not reliable for 90 minutes. Sevilla should come as a favorite, but the outcome of this game is quite interesting as well, because if Barcelona wins, uh, it's going to have like a really positive effect ahead of 2022, because they will finish the year in Champions League spots, which is something that the two or three weeks ago seemed to be difficult, but, uh, you know, uh, Real Sociedad hasn't been perfect, uh, same thing applies to some other teams that are playing at the top of the table, and Barcelona has had the chance to catch up. And also, Real Madrid are playing at Bilbao. So if Real Madrid drops points at Bilbao, which is something that has happened uh, many times uh, throughout the last century and a half, well, uh, I think Barcelona or Sevilla, whoever comes out as a winner, will consider the midweek uh, big victory. Excellent. All right. Well, that Real Madrid game away at Athletic is on Wednesday. Right. And that'll wrap it up for La Liga in 2021. All right. Well, hey, we're almost at the end of today's Totally Football Show, our last Euro one of this year. So next up, let's break out the prezzies. All right. This is very exciting. Uh, listener, we've inaugurated a first ever Totally Football Show European edition Secret Santa competition. Do you have Secret Santa in in uh, in Germany, Rafa? Yes, we do. I, I believe it's called Wichten. 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 <laughs> what does that mean? Secret Santa. What? All of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it doesn't a different sound. name for that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Secret Santa would be der geheime Weihnachtsmann. That's better. We'll go but with we that. don't have that. We have okay. just Wichten. Wichten. Uh, Alvaro in Spain? Yeah, we don't call it uh, Santa Claus Secreto. Uh, we call it uh, El Amigo Invisible. The Invisible Ooh, the Friend. Invisible mm. friend. I like mm. that. Right. Excellent. Well, Rafa, the exciting news is I think I can reveal that you are James's invisible friend. So let's see what you have got him. Not <laughs> He's getting quite emotional here. James, how do you feel? Wow, un'estate italiana. Yeah, the, the Italian summer which which kept on going until they didn't make the World, the, the World Cup. 
and they'll be looking for the qualifiers, the playoffs in 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 uh, right. Yeah. I I mean it yeah it's a very wow that music I should say that's the old theme tune from 1990 from their their yeah. their road to the, the semi final then uh, Eduardo Benato and Jana uh, Nanini a sister of the Formula One driver curiously but anyway yeah oh, yeah mm-hmm. thank you Raf that was a uh, you're very welcome all right yeah. emotional excellent all right well while James dries his eyes. Uh, let's hear what he got. Jules. Leo Messi, the one to be killed by Messi. Oh, Messi! 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 Here is the first goal and one goal to make it 2-0 for PSG! Oh! What a counter-attack! Please! Please, I don't want to hear anymore he hasn't scored yet. And how many Cristiano has scored and all of that? They're checking it. Yeah, so Jules is off at his Christmas party at the moment. But here was his reaction earlier. Oh, James, I love you so much. I was hoping that whoever picked me in the draw, in the San Crescenta draw, would, would, would go for that. It was certainly the, the highlight of the year if you're a PSG fan. And, and for us on the Gold Show, when I, you know, it's rare that we get to be live on a goal like this. Usually we say, oh, there's been a goal and, and with my voice you hear if PSG have scored, but, but not often I have to, you know, I have the, the pleasure of, of being actually live on when, when that, that move happens. So well, When selecting that, that uh, secret Santa gift, I thought, you know, what can you give the man who has everything? He probably already has thought, that though, don't you think? <laughs> I just thought... What better gift for Jules than Jules himself? Jules himself. <laughs> I should explain. That was from the, our, our Champions League roundup where we we, uh, we bring the goals as they happen. And Jules had the great fortune to happen uh, to be talking about a Paris Saint-Germain uh, game while Leo Messi actually scored in it. And what are the odds of that? Uh, anyway, he was so, so grateful. Bless. Excellent. And he had something, Alvaro, for you. Abre para Iñaki William, le puede pegar con la derecha, chuta William. Oh, oh. Y gol, 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 gol. Madre de mi vida, qué golazo. Qué golazo de Iñaki William. Habilitó pierna derecha, le pegó a la escuadra izquierda y la clava Iñaki William. Qué gol, qué coño, qué gol. <laughs> Yeah, my word. Just for anyone who's who's not as up on uh, recent Athletic Cup winning exploits, what was that we were listening to? This is the the time we won the Super Cup. Uh, we hadn't won a title for 37 years, wow. and Iñaki Williams scored that goal that made us champion again. I know that it sounds like a small title for you guys. I don't know whoever is out there who supports a team that wins every, every, every year. But for us, it meant a lot. And I am 38, so the last time Athletic Club Bilbao won something, I don't remember it, obviously. So thank you, Jules. Thank you, Jules. That was uh, top that, class. That was nice. I, I think I, I was tempted if I were to get Alvaro to do um, one of those classic El Chiringuito um, <laughs> in, <laughs> intros for <laughs> the summer. Magnificent. Uh, All right, then. Well, that just leaves one present, and it's from Alvaro for Raphael Honigstein. There you go. Dan Matt is boom. Then it goes boom, Rafa. Then it goes boom. And unfortunately, yeah. it won't go boom anymore mm. because Gerd Müller sadly passed away this year. But this is his um, very well-known uh, top 10. don't know if it charted, but yeah, it's his big hit from, from the late 1960s. That's one Gerd Müller record that can never be equaled uh, for me. As you say, uh, a poignant... Uh, a, a, a poignant uh, reminder of, of the great man in the year that he that he left the world of football. Thank you, Avril. I'm I'm quite uh, quite touched by this. There you go. Okay. I I knew that you that you like uh, you're a fan of music 
uh, I know that you go uh, an emotional man as well. So yeah, it's the perfect combination. And Ger Muller, what a legend. It's a real, real, real sad news that he left uh, in 2021. Indeed. Indeed. All right, well, there you go. Uh, that was... Uh, Secret Santa, I can only hope, Lister, that uh, your Christmas is as uh, rich in emotion and smiles uh, when it rolls around. Uh, that pretty much wraps it up, though, uh, for the Totally Football Show Euro edition. We have a, a regular show coming up on Thursday, so perhaps you'll be uh, joining us for that. But for now, it's uh, time to say many, many thanks for all your hard work and illuminating discourse over the course of this calendar year. Excuse me, Rafa. Uh, to James Horncastle and Julian Laurence and Alvaro Romeo and Rafa, you too. Uh, producer Charlie, as ever, at the helm. Listener, you with the ears. Many, many thanks from all of us here. See you in the clubs. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.